This is Mona Lisa Baseball. Now, I'm a lucky guy that I have an army of people that will send me anything worthwhile seeing in baseball. And the two that I saw most recently are well worth talking about. But the first one will take no backseat. I'm recording to get to the heart of the matter. I'm a baseball lover for my entire life. And things are as different as they've ever been. And I feel like it's my job to get to the heart of the matter. So let's talk about the old University of Pennsylvania versus Southern Mississippi. So this one was sent to me via Barstool Baseball. And, well, (laughs) definitely, if you have an interest in this show, go find it. But I'll describe it to you briefly. Base is loaded. It's the last inning. It's 3-2, two outs. You can hear in the announcer's voice that it's been a bit of an at-bat, and everyone's getting ready to face the next fastball, mono e mono. And the announcer gets fooled for a sec and says, oh, wait, nope, someone's called time. And he was a bit mistaken because the umpire at that point called the batter out, thus ending the game. This is baseball's worst nightmare, according to me, the game ending on inaction. And it really starts to make you wonder what the point of playing the game is if it's going to end in inaction. Now, one thing that was kind of fun for me, which I hadn't done much before this, was I went ahead and trolled the comments underneath. Don't really care in general what comments are underneath, but I just want to know what was said. And what I roughly found was about 50% of the people said, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. And the other half more or less said, those are the rules, get over it. So I put a little more thought into that. And obviously for the people that said this is the worst thing ever, I was checking those boxes thinking, okay, well, at least they understand. But the hard part for me to read the people that were saying those are the rules, get over it. A lot of them were drawing comparisons with basketball or hockey. And they were saying, well, the same thing would happen in basketball. If you just didn't report to the court in time, they'd call the game or something to the tune of, well, if there's a shot clock violation and you choose not to have action, then you just lose the ball. And that's the rules. What I noticed was it draws a very lousy comparison between two sports because until now, there's about 150 years of baseball not having any loyalty to a clock whatsoever. And now that that has come into play, all sorts of things have popped in. It makes me think of the original analogy of Mona Lisa baseball. And let's talk about altering the Mona Lisa that's going to come with consequences. If you give her fresh new eyebrows and people walk in to see her, they're going to notice that she looks a little different. If you give her fresh cheekbones, maybe whittle down that chin a little bit. And now that we're there, I think it's a great time to trim that nose down. So you do, you know, half a dozen, dozen bits of, plastic surgery on old Mona. Well, first of all, it's not going to be free. And 
Second of all, when people go to see Mona Lisa, the person they've been wanting to see possibly their whole life, great anticipation. It doesn't look like her. Now, are people going to keep flowing through the turnstiles in order to see the new Mona Lisa? Or were people coming there to see the one that possibly their parents, grandparents, great-grandparents raved about generations before? What is the thing that makes her so special? Is it the genius of da Vinci? Is it the most beautiful painting that people have ever seen? Is it the history? A lot of good questions. But now, if we bring it back to baseball, with actions, there are reactions. Now, it seems like the powers that be had a real beef with the fact that games could go a long time, longer than they wanted. They couldn't really control it. And that had to change. So once you bring in the clock, it seems fairly amateur to just assume that you're going to bring in a clock and that will just make the game quicker and nothing else will be much of a big deal. Well, I would say that ending the game on a violation and not having to actually strike the guy out, just getting two strikes on the guy and then ending the game, I'd call that pretty fucking big deal. Now, if you're able to watch this highlight, they do show the batter. He's doing exactly what he should be doing in this scenario. Might be the biggest at-bat of his life. He's trying to win the game for his team. He's not far from the box. He's not undoing his gloves. He's not doing anything crazy. He's looking at his bat. He's reinvigorating his mind. Deep breaths, getting ready. He's about to face another 3-2 pitch. And the rug gets pulled out from under him. And he never gets to prove his worth in a way. Doesn't get to give it his shot. If baseball can accept this, we've got ourselves an entirely different sport. And there's times that it will resemble the old version. But this whole time thing is as big as anything that's ever happened in the game. And it's too bad that these other rules are going to kind of get not really getting the attention they deserve in terms of how they're changing the sport because the time thing is such a big headline grabber. My wife recently was asking me, if you're such a big baseball fan, how come you're not really ever paying attention? And I got to say it hurt a little bit because I thought if anyone would understand, it's her. And this is what I've tried to get across in terms of uh, this is the canary in the coal mine. Me. If MLB is losing me to indifference, that bird is fucking dead. The love that I have for the sport is massive. I'm reading more baseball than ever. I'm thinking about baseball more than ever. My interest level in tuning into a big league game just isn't there. Now, I do have an interest in going to a game. I want to compare it. I have an opportunity to go to what sounds like two new stadiums coming up here pretty soon. 
But if this guy is indifferent, the sport ought to be worried. Let's talk about this kid. I mean, this is the ultimate scenario of a baseball game. You could hear the crowd. They just put in all the prior innings, and now it had got to this point where the entire game was resting on each pitch. Everybody had collectively moved towards the end of their seats. This is the most important part of the game. Everything was going exactly, exactly how you'd want it to go if you were a baseball rider. And then it ended. The people that changed these rules, did they actually think about that that baseball game could end this way? Did they? Because if this happens in a playoff game, this happens in the World Series, the shit that's going to get stirred up, oh my God, it'll make the sport look laughable. So I got this image in my mind, and I've had this song in my head for a few days and didn't really know why, and I finally was able to connect the dots. There's a wonderful surf movie called Riding Giants. I was lucky enough to see it in a movie theater. Stacy Peralta is the director, and he makes damn good documentaries. Dogtown and Z-Boys was his work. But he wanted to do a movie about big wave surfing. And that's my favorite surf movie. I think Blue Horizon gets awful close. But Riding Giants, I've probably seen over a dozen times. And I still love it. And I've watched it enough times that one of the times I decided to watch it with the commentary on. And it's got a few people there that are basically watching the movie, putting in their commentary. Stacy's one of them. And it goes to this scene where this beautiful Hawaiian music is playing. Very soft, lulling you. Naturally is what you'd think of 1950s Hawaii before all the tourists got there. And there's this little scene where there's, I don't know, maybe 10 surfers in the water and it shows them kind of on a low day, their hands behind them, just kind of sitting on their boards, waiting for the next wave to come. And Stacy goes, oh, I love that scene right there. You can really hear it in his voice. And I was able to connect the dots with that in baseball. Now, if you're a surfer, you understand why he loves that scene. I can barely call myself a surfer. I was able to give myself the ranking of a 3 out of 10. And I haven't surfed a whole lot since then. But each peg of the journey from going from a 0 to a 3 was... A lot more work than I would have ever guessed. But what you find out about surfing is it's not about how you are holding your hands when you're on the wave, what your style looks like. Eventually it gets there, sure, if you put in your thousands of hours of work. What I never would have guessed was that just sitting on your board is hard. Turning and catching a wave is hard. Standing up is hard. Harder for some than others, but especially hard for me. What I'm getting at here is probably 90% of surfing in actual time 
is waiting for waves. You're not doing anything. You might be paddling around here to there, but you're waiting for waves. If you wanted to get the real gist of the story, as far as time spent, it's in the moments of waiting, waiting for the beautiful things. Baseball is so similar in that way. It's following its own rules. It's just playing a game. You're just playing a game. And all the time in between is supposed to be there for each player that's participating. You know, pitchers, catchers, they get to dictate the clock a little bit more. The hitter at times, the umpire. But there's a ton of downtime. And after a century's worth of playing the game, to sort of just say, well, that needs to have a limit on it, there's going to be some reckoning from that decision. And this college baseball game is just the most perfect, glaring example of a new rule that maybe wasn't thought out all that well. I mean, here's the thing. After getting this much time to kind of work out the kinks of baseball, 150 years, we basically got to a point where we can see ourselves in the game. And the report is, it's not quick enough. The game is not quick enough for what we demand for our own entertainment. It took about 150 years to get to that conclusion. It's not quick enough for us. And now that we're about a third of the way through the season, a little bit more, the regular season that is, we haven't had enough time to really know how this has changed baseball at all. We don't really have a clue. But yet we're making assumptions, you know, being ramrodded down our throat, faster is better. I wouldn't start believing that quite yet. We haven't had enough time to find out. I mean, there's going to be some serious side effects. Can you get a bigger one than games are ending without playing on the field. I mean, there's an old Earl Weaver quote about, you know, he lost game five of the World Series and he was on the road. You know, if they would have won that game, they'd have gone back home. Hopefully had two games at home, winning seven games. And a reporter was asking him after the game if he was thinking that if he held the lead, that he'd be able to get back home and then have a better chance of winning the whole thing at home. And he said, you know, that's the exact thing you can't do in baseball. You can't run out the clock. You got to give them their chance. And what he's talking about is you can't just pitch around everyone. You know, you're going to fill up the bases and they're going to score. You got to give the team their chance. This poor batter for Penn didn't get his chance. He was not lollygagging. But the clock said he was. So he's out. Now I want to read you something. <clears throat> Somebody is always trying to improve baseball. A few years ago, a fan sent me an ingenious proposal designed to add variety and zest to the old game by means of one small shift in the rules. A batter who had just struck the ball or who has drawn ball four would have the option of heading for first base or third base. If he selected the latter route, he would then be required to proceed around the bases in the same startling clockwise direction, and his ensuing fortunes and adventures along the way would be governed by the existing rules of the game. 
I regret that I have forgotten the author of this inspired document. It was subsequently published and reprinted in several sporting journals. For his little swerve or jiggle in the straight-laced laws of the pastime offers more possibilities for surprise and entertainment than one might at first suppose. The scheme and its results are still sometimes talked about in dugouts and bullpens around the leagues. Think about it. Let's say that our batsman steps up to the plate with no outs and a teammate on first base and taps a routine bouncer towards first. A good chance for a double play, you say, except that the batter exercising his new options sensibly sprints north instead of south, while the runner at first, now no longer subject to the force play, holds his base. The first baseman fielding the ball halts in mid-pivot when he notices that there will be no play at second, then realizes that there will be nothing doing at first base either, and at last gets off his peg to third, far too late for the out. Base hit, runners at first and third, still no outs. As it happens, both these base runners are quick, and each now takes a good lead off his base. The pitcher anxiously throws over to first a couple of times to keep the runner close, then tries a pickoff at third. No luck. And on the next pitch, both runners take off for second. The pitch is low and away to the right-handed batter, slightly discomposing the catcher. His good peg is a hair late, and both sliding runners are safe out there. A double palms down gesture by the ump where they greet each other with double hand slaps and help dust off each other's pants. Other possibilities now suggest themselves. If the game were a close one, or even if it weren't close now that I think about it, both men would immediately try to steal the next base, given the absolute guarantee that at least one of them would be safe and now in scoring position. If both were safe, and if the flustered pitcher understandably lost his control for a bit, We might soon find two base runners at each corner. Now what? Now a sacrifice fly to medium deep center field, please, with the two inbound runners tagging up after the catch and both arriving at opposite corners of the plate in converging clouds of dust, just beating the throw home. While both outbound men trot along to second on the play, in no time one can envisage the bases might be loaded. And I mean loaded. And the next man... No, it won't work. The possibilities have begun to outweigh our anticipations. The umpires are overburdened, and pity for the pitcher and the infield defense dims our wish for further wonders. A double run down between second and third, say, or a six-run triple to deep center, with the concentric circles of base runners whirling about the base pass in a double pinwheel of overpopulation, and yes, and we. Baseball, we understand once again, is spare and rigorous by nature, and is also somehow right. We can ignore it or hate it if that is our choice, but we must take it as it is. It cannot be better. That was Roger Angel, 1984. I thought of a fun question that I'd love to ask Alex Honnold, the rock climber, if I met him. Say, Alex, how would you change El Capitan to make it better? And this is a fun exercise. I'm imagining his face, and it would be this perfect mix of bewilderment, confusion. A smirk would definitely be in there. I feel like I already know his answer. Do you know what I'm driving at? I know I've said it several times, but there are certain things in life People deem as perfect. You don't hear that many people talking about baseball being perfect nowadays, but 
go back to the classic writers from now all the way back to the early 1900s, that opinion is consistently shared that there's just something about baseball. You can't change it around and arrive on something that's better if it's been decided for decades that it's perfect. So be real, real careful with that. I mean, we're fundamentally changing a sport away from what it is. And so there's going to be an entire different rubric on what's good, what's bad. We all basically got real used to how baseball is played. But the thing was, you never knew if it'd be a 1-0 shutout or a 19-15 to slugfest. You just never knew. And that's one of the things that made it really cool. It had the ultimate variety, but we all knew the rules. Now we don't really. I heard John Crutt going ballistic <laughs> recently talking about, what a joke, baseball's become a circus. And it's one of the few announcers that I've actually heard outspoken about the BS that he's seeing. All right, let's talk about the other current event that happened recently. There's a nice little slugger that plays for the Braves, and he's not little. Big righty. So he's playing in Arizona, and he hits a moonshot to center. So his choice of reacting to this moonshot to center is a very wide arc of the left hand holding on the bat, and he just stands at home plate. And he stands, and he stands for a while. He's admiring the holy shit out of this ball. Oh, man. He is taking his time with this one. And it hits off the top of the wall. And it bounces back into the field. And they throw it back into second base. And he is held to a single. So it's been dubbed the 415-foot single. Now, pretty high center field wall in Arizona. So the ball probably would have traveled about... I don't know, 430, 440? So he shit on the ball. There's no question. He thought he hit it out of the park, but he didn't quite get all of it to get it out of that part of the yard. Just right of center field. And he was subsequently benched. Uh, So I just wanted to touch on this real quick. I have no problem with that reaction. And I also have no problem with the coach benching him. If it's become more important to you to showboat you better know how to do it now a showboater back in my day old Barry Bonds there were two mistakes I saw him make in his showboating there was a time that he hit a ball really hard to right field and when he crushed the ball he had a tendency to admire but the ball had topspin and it hit the fence and he might have only got a single maybe a double but the press reamed him for it, and he deserved it. It's hard to believe he really would get away with this, but you know the thing when the outfield sees a ball that's hit so unbelievably over the fence that they don't even move? Well, he had a tendency to do this, and there was a a game where from left field, he was admiring a ball go over his head, assuming it was out, and it wasn't. And, you know, he kind of made an excuse that said, oh, I couldn't really see the ball. I don't think anyone believed him. But here's the thing. He's Barry Bonds. He's a perennial all-star. He was widely considered 
one of the top, if not the greatest player in baseball for, I would say, over 10 years. One of the reasons why he was sort of allowed, in a way, to stand there and not get plunked immediately was because Barry was really fast. He had over 500 stolen bases. So a pitcher's not going to really want to put him on. Another guy who would admire the ball at the plate was Griffey. Also fast. Not a huge stolen base threat, but not someone you'd necessarily want on the bases. And also they had reached a point that was so high in the game that the game kind of respected them in a way where it's like, ah, shit, well, that's that's Perry or that's Griffey. That's how it goes. Guy for the Braves, I don't know. Pretty young guy, but it just makes you look stupid. I mean, if that's how you want to represent yourself, I think that's absolutely fine. And if the manager doesn't really like that, he can bench him. And I think everyone wins there. But don't be surprised if the next time those two face, the pitcher and the batter, that he gets his ass plunked for showing up the pitcher. That's part of baseball. Something you're not really supposed to do. Some people get around it, but... This guy is kind of a chunker on the bases, and I don't think people would really care too much if they put him on first base. He's not going to steal second and third. Of course, careful for that old designated runner bit. It's coming into the game. Just put a fast guy in for him, it wouldn't even matter. We're going to have to really, really think about what's about to happen next year. Do you know what's going to happen? I want to know where this line is. Where is this line for rule changes? Are the powers that be attempting to fix the game, and then once they've found the perfect combination, then they're done with rule changes? Or is this a continually moving process in order to change it until it's at its highest level? What if the game is thriving, but they said, but actually it's going to get more viewers if the batter can run to first or third base. Would they make that move? If the money says so, then they will. At what point do you have to call it something else? Because that wouldn't be baseball. Now later in this text that I read you from the beginning, he goes on to say, But the truth of the matter, of course, is that baseball has hardly changed at all. And before he gets to that point, he's basically saying, you know, the changes have been tough on him through his lifetime. And at this point in 84, I think he's, let's see, in his 60s. He saw the free agency. He saw the big contracts. He saw indoor baseball. And those things were hard on him. But he didn't have to worry about rules being changed. The point of everything he's saying is, let's respect baseball for what it is. Take it or leave it. Not everyone has to take this thing. And I've been pretty stunned after coming out with season one, really getting to talk things out for season two, and now that here we are in season three where the shit is just ten times crazier than I could have ever imagined. I'm in actual disbelief of how many people are accepting this. And not necessarily accepting it, but just saying, well, let's wait and see if it's better. And they actually believe it could be. 
you know, this insertion of time into the game, we wanted the game quicker, but at what cost? What is the cost? The cost is too high. But let's look at next year. And if what A2 says is true, and Robbie Manfred said we're going to implement Hawkeye next year, there's going to be automatic balls and strikes. We have to look at what that means for the sport. Okay? So, here you are. You wake up. You're going to a game that day. Okay, great. Go out to the ballpark. Make it there. Have you actually considered what it means that you or no one else in the ballpark can boo the umpire? Now, obviously, you can boo the umpire on a ball or a strike. But it doesn't mean anything. This might sound minor, but if you're at a game and yelling things can't get you anywhere, I'm not going to say it usually does, you know. I'll say I have heckled a Hall of Famer in the bullpen, and he did end up losing the game for him. And I did feel partially responsible for that blown save. And it was a good feeling. Being vocal at a ball game is fun. And if you have less of a reason to do it, it takes something away from the baseball experience. So when you're at a baseball game, the crowd is more hushed, looking at their phone more, don't really have the time to kind of have a conversation because, I don't know, the action is maybe moving a little quicker. Maybe that sounds like a good thing, but it will change the at-the-ballpark experience. When you cannot boo the umpire, it might not feel as fun to be at a ballgame. If it might not be as fun to go to a ballgame, you might not go. If you don't go, maybe your next-door neighbor doesn't go. Now, if the ballpark doesn't fill up like these home teams have gotten accustomed to filling... What does that do to the television viewer? Television viewer sees an empty stadium. It gives less reason to watch a game. It's more fun to watch a game with the crowd going wild. And it's a sellout. The only thing I want to talk about in closing. It's the trend that we're moving towards with the playoffs in the World Series. And I want to ask the question to you. If the season ends in a playoff tournament, half the teams make it, why is the season so long? Why do we need to play 162 games if it really only matters what happens in the tournament at the end? What is that going to do to the regular season? Is it just to uphold the statistics so we can compare them to the past? Baseball used to just stand for whatever it was to you. You just knew it would be there in the summer. And if your team was in a playoff hunt, that was really exciting. But now if it's just a tournament, 
does a regular season mean anything? I mean, we're going to find out. We're going to find out with all of this. And I want you to know that this isn't a show to complain about how times are changing. Back in my day. I understand if it sounds like that at times. But this is the ultimate warning for the people that are changing the sport around. You cannot make baseball more popular than it was because it was already proven to be perfect. doesn't matter what kind of new technologies you stumble across. It's actually impossible. So what you're doing by changing it is you're kicking to the curb the people that love it the most. And then everyone else sort of thinks it's cool for a little bit. And then baseball just starts to drift away. It's already happened to me. Just kind of drifts away where love it, hate it, neither. It's just indifference. Oh, yeah. Giants play today. What happened? I don't know. This is a warning. It's a warning in bold letters, bold type. Because here's the thing with the rule changes. I mean, what are they looking for? From what I've heard, attendance up maybe a little bit. Viewership on television up a little bit, maybe. We're getting to the point where we're changing rules to just maybe Get things up a smidge. Well, what happens if it's down a smidge next year? What happens if it's down more than a smidge? And you can't count on baseball anymore to just be itself. What's the next harebrained idea? Run to first or third? I mean, honestly, what is going to happen? Let's think about it this way. This is a should question. Should? The current commissioner, who's basically serving the owners, have the right to change old rules if it's our pastime? And this is our game. This is our game of baseball. We all own it. We all own it. Look what's happening. College stadiums now have clocks that can end games in inaction. How far are we? From high school, ballparks, pastoral fields, verdant pastures of baseball. How soon until they have clocks dictating how the game is played? Are people out there going to skip and not play baseball because it doesn't seem legit because you can't play the actual rules because a field doesn't have a clock? The trickle down is real. So if the trickle-down is real, let's think about next season. Little League games? If people don't feel like playing baseball because they only want to play the real version where there's an automatic balls and strikes, so now every park across the country is going to have to get the technology to do that? Does that really sound more fun? Hey, Timmy, do you want to pitch or bat today? You really think that's a question that your son or daughter should be asked when they're playing Little League? 
I mean, how many people are actually thinking about this stuff in long term? Long term baseball, not the Manny Machado line. Well, I don't mind getting home a little bit earlier. I think that was the original intent of bringing in the clock was, hey, we're just going to speed it all up a little bit. But let's think long term about baseball. No matter how old you are, the game was handed down to you. Okay. Basically, our only job was to make sure it stayed the same so that we can compare it to all the previous eras. That was our only job. We have fucking blown that to bits. I don't think we're going to actually get to the point where the game gets so ugly and so unpopular, they just go back to the old rules. I think A4 was spot on when he said, that's a long, long, long ways down the road. They're going to go through the entire overhaul before we get there. So I think we're about to see that. But you can't call it baseball. That's not what baseball is. Will you accept my premise that the Mona Lisa needs to stay untouched? You cannot improve on her. I'm sorry you're not attracted to her. Let's think for a sec. Why did baseball become the national pastime? I mean, let's go way back. Let's go way back into the 1800s. It's really, really, really fun to play. And you don't need 18 people to do that. You can do it in so many different ways. But it was so fun to play that people liked to watch other people play. And then there was enough people that wanted to watch other people play. Teams started getting paid to have the best ball players, And then the best players got to play against the best players. And people love that. People showed up. And they got to go to the park. They got to hang out with their friends, smoke cigars, have some drinks, eat some hot dogs, Cracker Jack being at a baseball game. It was fun to watch. You were hanging out. Not so much of a hangout anymore. And it's funny, one thing I haven't heard talked about too much was this idea that, you you know, it's still the cheapest sport to attend compared to the other big ones. You'd get a solid three hours, sometimes less, usually more, to hang out. And now that time's not there with you. Does it seem too short? I want to know. I'm going to start asking people that question. So anyway, this is me attempting to get to the heart of the matter. Brought surfing into this. Brought 1984 text into this. But zoom out. Zoom out and look at the bigger picture here. Try to take baseball in more of a long-term lens than just, I'd prefer it if it was two hours and 40 minutes compared to three hours and 20 minutes. Got to be more to the story than that. But one thing that I recommend to you is doing something about it. If you agree with anything, or if you come up with your own ideas, support baseball. And you could do it in any way that you want. But do something. If you think this is BS, what you're watching, support baseball cool thing about that is you got every player that's ever played behind you saying keep baseball the way it is i think they want baseball to be played to the closest version that they played it 
Now, naturally, at times it's fun to say, well, they don't, oh, the, these new guys, they don't know baseball. They don't know what the real version is. And it's always fun to say, oh, we would have whooped them in our day. It's about as hypothetical as it gets. But I don't think old baseball players are thinking, hopefully they change it around so much that the new version is irrelevant to the old one. I really, really doubt that. So if you're pissed off about it, you don't like what you're seeing, I encourage you to do something about it. I want to remind you that you got any commentary for us, Mona Lisa Baseball at gmail.com. We're listening. Take the long game on baseball. The short version, it ain't working. It's a long game. It takes a while. It's not just highlights. Well, that leaves out the malt, the peanuts that I ate, the pile of peanuts that I threw at the Dodger fan later for saying something rude. That includes all of it. You missed out on all of it. Screaming at Gagne, booing the ump. My dad's favorite line back in the day was, you're missing a good game, Blue. What a shame to think. I'm not going to get to hear that line ever again. Well, maybe this year. That's it for me. I'm out. Do you know what I'm driving at? It doesn't look like her. There are certain things in life people deem as perfect. That's the rules. What a joke. That bird is fucking dead. The Great Conclusion. You can't change it around and arrive on something that's better if it's been decided for decades that it's perfect.